Before we get started with today's interview, I just wanted to share a tweet with you. Paula on Twitter replied to Marianne Marlowe posting her episode and saying she had found a new agent since we recorded. Paula said, thanks so much for sharing. Really needed to hear a lot of this and congrats on getting an agent. Proof that perseverance pays off. Thank you, Paula, so much for reaching out. I think tenacity is a huge part of the game that nobody talks about. Just how much can you take? How much are you willing to go back and revise or go back and find another agent or go back and do what needs to be done? Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Susan Elia McNeil is the author of the New York Times, Washington Post, Publishers Weekly, and USA Today bestselling Maggie Hope Mystery Series starting with the Edgar Award-nominated and Barry Award-winning Mr. Churchill's Secretary, which is now in its 23rd printing. Her most recent book is The Hollywood Spy, which just came out on July 6th. So please welcome Susan to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. So we're going to start kind of at the very beginning of your writing journey. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Well, I think I was always interested in writing. I remember doing writing in high school and in college, but I never really took it seriously because, you know, real people weren't novelists or writers. And instead, like with many people, um, I ended up going into publishing. So I was an English major who went into publishing. And um, that was that was my entree in. Yeah. And you have an interesting story about how you got the idea for the first book that you published, right? Right. Well, so I worked in book publishing and then I ended up after many years working as an editor at a place called Dance Magazine. And that publication moved to the West Coast. So I was effectively, you know, jobless. And at the same time, my husband, who is one of the Jim Henson Muppets, was doing this show called Bear in the Big Blue House. And we went over to London for his job. And I was actually able to go because I was unemployed. So I was able to, I went to the Churchill War Rooms. And that was really the catalyst for everything, for starting the Maggie Hope novels and starting my fiction publishing career. All right. So can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized you wanted to be a published author? Oof. That's, that's hard. I don't think there was ever one moment. I think working in publishing, you know, my first job was for Random House, the little random imprint, and I went over to Viking Penguin. And so I'd always been working with, you know, pretty big deal publishers. And I think that was always sort of the underlying goal. I will tell you one thing, though, at, at a certain point in the querying process, I struck out so many times over so many years that finally I told my agent, that I was done. I, I had just been going through a lot of personal things and things with aging parents. And I just thought, you know what, I can't, 
I can't do this anymore. I'm going to self-publish and you know, this is going to be a wonderful holiday gift. And this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to move on. And my agent, uh, Victoria Skernick at Levine Greenberg said, you know, that's fine. I understand. But, you know, I have, I have just like one more person I want to query. So just let me do that. And then, you know, because we had a contract and, you know, I didn't want to do anything without asking her. So I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And um, lo and behold, she called me back with an offer, which is such a crazy Cinderella story. So I, I've been both wanting to be a published by a, you know, a major publishing house, but also very willing to be a published, self-published. All right. We're actually going to get into that journey in a little bit. But so you worked in the publishing industry. How much did you know about querying agents, how to write a query letter, stuff like that? Did you learn all that while you're working or did you have to learn that when you decided you wanted to be published? Well, you know, I, I read a lot of queries. At that point, you could still query a publisher directly. Mm. So one of the jobs that an assistant does is to go through all the queries. Um, and I was also receiving queries from agents. So that was, you know, like someone had pre-gone through everything. So I was keenly aware of what made a good query letter and what got attention I was also keenly aware that not every editor will take every good book because that editor, it's almost like, you know, your editor is like a cottage industry within the publishing house and they have their own sort of brand and style and way they do things. And so what might be an amazing book for another editor wouldn't work for another. And it's not because of the quality of the book or the saleability of the book. It's just the wrong person. So I was a little bit more aware of what goes into um, how publishing houses choose things and how specific editors choose things. How long did it take you to write that first book? Well, over 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then what happened at that point, once you finished the book, you know, what was your process from then to signing with your, your literary agent? You know, it was long and hard. I, I signed with one particular agent. And then as these things go in publishing, um, she changed agencies and there was much drama and then she had children and there was much drama and the book did not sell anywhere and there was much drama and finally I got another agent and you know there was less drama but it still wasn't selling so mm. that was you know to dovetail in with the story I was telling before that was when I was just like this has been a very long road and I'm super tired and um, <laughs> I think it's time to maybe just kind of do this on my own. So thank goodness I had my second agent. Yeah. How long was that process, you know, from starting to even signing with your second agent? Probably about five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you signed your second agent with the same book as the first agent? Yeah, it was a much, uh, it was completely retooled, mm. but it was, it was sort of the same book. I don't know if you call it the same book or not. It was much more of a thriller mystery second time around. Oh, uh, what was it the first time around? A little bit more of a coming of age story. Hmm. Interesting. So that's why your second agent was then able to shop it around because she was probably even looking at different editors, right? Absolutely. Looking at different editors. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you went out on sub with your second agent. How long were you on sub for? Gosh, how long was that? Probably over a year. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, she sent them out a few at a time and then got the, you know, feedback and then we would do like a few more so that it did take a while. Yeah. And you were ready to quit and she's like, wait, one more, let's try one more time, basically. Right. And that was it. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. You said that you don't have your query letters anymore, but you did remember uh, a specific way that you pitched the book. So do you want to share that with listeners? I do remember pitching it as James Bond meets Nancy Drew. (laughs) That was one of the, the ways I was trying to sort of let them know where it fit into, you know, thrillers and mysteries. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing I used. Um, honestly, it's it's a really long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago was that? I, I, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to, but. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. I mean, it's um, well over 10 years that I queried, so. All right. So how has your experience been since signing your contract, uh, especially Feel free to share any surprises that you had along the way. When I did finally sign um, with Random House, with the Bantam imprint of Random House, I signed a two book deal. So I already knew like going in, I I had the one and then I had, you know, I, I was going to write the second one. But after that, you know, there was no guarantee of anything. So it was pretty terrifying. And I felt I, I related to Shahrazad because I was just I felt like I was just telling stories for my continued survival. <laughs> and luckily, uh, you know, good things happened with the first book and the second, and so I was able to get another contract for another two books, and so on and so on. And here we are at book ten, which seems insane. Yeah, I was just about to ask how many books that is. Ten. Yeah, yeah the tenth one, Hollywood Spy. At what point did you hit New York Times? Was that with the first book? No, um, that was actually the second book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Although the the first book just took, it did well. It mm-hmm. took a bit longer to get started. And I think it did well because of word of mouth. Yeah, at a long tail. Mm-hmm. It seems like a book that's perfect for book clubs too. So that seems like it would, book club books have usually have a pretty long tail because people keep reading them for years. Right. Yeah. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. So it's just kind of classifications that we put writers in. So just let us know which one you are. Okay. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm a planter or a planter. I don't know. I do both, basically. I, I know. A writing friend of mine and I were talking about this, Mariah Fredericks. And um, basically, we do a lot of plotting and then throw it all out the window. Okay. When you are doing your first draft, do you tend to be more of an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter, and I'll often put in TK, which means to come in copy editing language. And uh, future Susan, when she sees this, is never like very excited to see TKs <laughs> from past Susan because it just means a whole lot more work on the other end. But this is how I do it. So, Is there a particular item that you usually do that with, like description or dialogue or something else? Sometimes if I haven't quite settled on a name yet, or if I haven't um, quite settled on description or like a, I don't know, any, any sort of choice or any sort of thing that I have to go look up instead of looking it up, it'll just be like TK. Okay. And then I'll know like at some point I'm going to have to do that research or pull in that research from another document. Do you prefer writing in the morning or at nighttime more? I prefer writing in the morning. 
whenever you're starting a new book, do you usually come up with character first or plot or concept or something else? Usually it'll come to me as a concept with characters and then I'll figure out the plot. Mm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Oh, can I say both? I guess so, yeah. Not at the same time, though. Yeah, <laughs> not at the same time. I like coffee in the morning. I like maybe some tea in the afternoon. Mm. A couple people have said coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Interesting. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? I like some kind of sound, white noise. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Oh, get it down person. It is ugly. <laughs> and what tools or software do you use to draft? I use Word. Um, I did try Scrivener. Scrivener was too much for me. I, I know people who love it and swear by it. I just wasn't able to. I didn't have the patience to go through all the bells and whistles. So I have lots and lots of documents. <laughs> do you prefer drafting or revising more? I like revising because you have something you have something meaty to work with already. Drafting just seems terrifying sometimes. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? I try to write in sequential order, but I do hop around. If something's just not happening, I'll go work on another subplot. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Oof, introvert. But I can be really social. I mean, I like people. I just yeah. tend to need a rest after too much socialization. Yeah. I think a lot of people kind of misunderstood the extrovert versus introvert question mm -hmm. because they're like, well, I can be social. I can be friendly, but people exhaust me. I'm like, you're an introvert. You're just a social introvert. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. The show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We're going to talk about that second cue now. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? Well, I was just so worried that it was all for nothing and I was wasting my time, quite frankly. And the more time I invested, the more it seemed to me I needed to make it work because I had invested so much time. And that was terrifying. And again, one of the only reasons that I jumped to doing freelance is I had actually lost my job. So I was kind of just like, well, this is crazy. and you know, I can maybe turn this into a positive. And one of the things I did do was I continued to do freelance editing and writing. I continued to, uh, I did two nonfiction books for fun, but also for money uh, to sort of support the fiction writing habit. Um, so I did a lot of things to kind of keep everything going while I was writing and then querying. You mentioned nonfiction books. So I want to ask about that. Were they Kind of like ghostwritten or? No, 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 no. Under um, your own name? They're under my name. Um, the first one that I wrote is called Wedding Zen. And I had just gotten married and it had been slightly crazy. And the other thing is at the time, one of my best friends um, from college had become a Buddhist nun in the Korean tradition. And I was very interested in Zen Buddhism. And I thought, wouldn't this be a great way to help people planning weddings? to like incorporate a bit of Zen um, into the process. So that was like a fun book that came out from Chronicle in 2002, maybe. And then I did a book on cocktails. I love cocktails and I love going to different bars in New York City and I love making cocktails at home for people. And so 
I did this book called Infused because I couldn't find a lot of the infused ingredients that I wanted to use in what I was doing. And the irony is I when I had got the book contract, I just found out I was pregnant. So I wasn't I had to make all these recipes and like do all these test things and have a test kitchen. I didn't drink any of it. My husband <laughs> he he um he made the effort to to do that for me. So <laughs> And those came out before your first fiction book? Yes. Did your agent sell those or did you sell those on your own? This is an interesting thing. Um, it, it was an agent at the same agency, Levine Greenberg. It was uh, the agent's name is Ariel Ekstet, and she only does nonfiction. So when I switched over to fiction, she read what I had and then passed it to a colleague. Hmm. Interesting. And that's how we clicked. All right. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Well, one of the things that I do, um, I live in New York and I live with my husband and my son and we live in a quote unquote cozy apartment. So sometimes I'll go off on writing retreats and a lot of times it's friends who are off on vacation and they'll have me over to like take care of their cats or dogs or plants or just take in their mail. And it gives me, you know, a long weekend or a week or so to really, really focus on writing. So that's, that's like my, my secret for being a New York City writer. Interesting. I remember hearing Karen Slaughter talk about she's gotten to the point where she has trouble writing when she's not in a writing retreat. So she has like a cabin that she goes to. And just like bangs out a whole novel <laughs> and then returns to the world. Well, that sounds perfect. And when I sell <laughs> as many books as Karen Slaughter, <laughs> I will buy my own cabin. Yeah. In the meantime, though, um, it's actually kind of fun because you often have like little furry companions and, mm -hmm. you know, you feel like you're doing good, something good for your friends by like watering their plants. So I was going to say it's good for your friends, too, because I know I always have trouble finding people to watch my animals when I go out of town. <laughs> And I do love animals. It's not like yeah. random. I mean, I, I do really love taking care of them. So Yeah. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, you kind of already talked about this, but maybe we can dive in a little bit deeper. What kept you going and why did you stick to it? I think I was really lucky to be surrounded by incredibly supportive people. My husband was unbelievably supportive. And the other thing is that I just, I believed in my book and I loved my characters and I wanted to give them life like beyond me. I, I, that probably sounds really odd, but I really just loved them so much and I didn't want them to just sort of not come to anything. So mm. that kind of kept me going. Nice. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you would like to share with listeners so that maybe they don't make the same ones? I have made so many mistakes. I have made so many mistakes. What is a mistake that I want to share? <laughs> um, I would say uh, don't don't ever read your non professional reviews. Mm. That that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're starting out. And I can't. I don't know how beginning authors don't do it because you are sort of unbelievably curious about what people are saying. But mm -hmm. wow, the internet can be a really scary place. <laughs> and I do think writers, we have to protect our mental health. We have to protect our boundaries. And, yeah, you know, it's just, I think reviews are for readers. I think reviews are not for authors. Mm -hmm. It is hard, though, because especially early on, you feel like you're 
not really getting a lot of feedback about how the book is doing and you just want to know how the book is doing. And so you look at Goodreads and then you regret looking at Goodreads. Absolutely. A lot. I mean, I do know a lot of us at this point in our lives, we have just put a firm like no up. So if anybody, if somebody needs to tell me something, they'll tell me. That's my (laughs) attitude. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? Oof. You know, I do think the road to publication, I feel like a boxer sometimes. I feel like one of the reasons I'm still here is I'm is I was the one who was able to just like keep taking the punches and to stay standing. And I think tenacity is a huge part of the game that nobody talks about. Just how much can you take? How much are you willing to go back and revise or go back and find another agent or go back and do what needs to be done? There are people, and I've worked as an editor with uh, different writers. And I remember working with this woman who was unbelievably gifted, so gifted, and her novel was wonderful. But when we finished, when she finished, it it wasn't really done. Like she needed to sort of put it in a drawer for three months, then take it out, then do another big rewrite. And she really wanted to send it out to agents and she did and nothing really happened. And then she self-published and that's fine. That's her journey. I just, as someone who worked with her for about a year, um, I just felt like there was more from her, like that she could have pulled out maybe, but Maybe I don't I don't know what happened to her. We we've lost touch, so maybe she's working on a new book now. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I teach classes on choosing between self-publishing and traditional publishing. And I tell people I think it's a great choice for some people to self-publish. I think some people do better in that arena. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I don't think it's a good decision to decide to self-publish just because you didn't get a traditional deal in whatever timeline that you thought you, you know, wanted to get one in. Yeah. I think if she had revised one uh, again, maybe even a few more times, and I know how much time that is. I know how much work that is, but I do feel like, I, I just feel like she had so much talent. Yeah. Still has so much talent. I just think Deciding to self-publish should be a business decision and not an emotional decision. Yes. And a lot of times that's an emotional decision. It does tend to be an emotional decision. It's hard. It's hard to keep going. Self-publishing is very hard. (laughs) Yeah. The whole thing is hard. I mean, why do we do this? (laughs) But we, we, we all love books, right? We all love stories and we all grew up with libraries and bookstores and things like that. So, yeah. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? Well, I definitely have to thank my husband who has just been incredibly supportive all through the craziness Um, from the very practical, from providing health insurance when I lost mine, when I lost my job, to believing in me when everyone was rejecting my stuff, to... um, supporting my going off on research trips and and writing retreats even when we had a young child um he was amazing and is amazing and again my agent my agent i can't even tell you she's like a fairy godmother from a disney movie she's just like so lovely and smart and i feel like she kind of helped me get to the ball so to speak <laughs> 
So she was amazing. And my editors have been incredible. My editors have really worked with me and been patient with me and, you know, gotten me to do better work than I think I ever would have done on my own. So my editors are incredible. So is there anything that you want to talk about, like any advice that you want to give or, you know? As far as getting ideas for books, I'm, it's funny, I'm, I'm working on a new standalone novel now. And it was inspired by a book I'd read for The Hollywood Spy. It was a book called Hitler in Los Angeles. And it was about the rise of the Nazi party in Los Angeles in the 1930s. And I had read the book many times. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe the fourth reading of the book that I realized that there were these two characters, not characters, there were two real people who worked with the spy master. And there was so little on them, but they were fascinating. And the thing is, because it had been so tiny, I'd skipped over it four separate times in four separate readings. And what happened was that I had finally like, it sort of blinked onto my brain that like, oh, this would actually be an amazing novel in and of itself. Like this could be a whole different cool novel. I guess to really be aware of your surroundings and really be aware of what you're reading and really be aware of what's going on and all the possibilities. Because if you read really fast, or if you're only reading for one thing, like for me, it was like research for the Maggie Hope book, The Hollywood Spy, then you might you know, miss something that's really inspiring and really could take you in a different direction. Nice. The Maggie Hope series is on its 10th book. Do you have any advice for writers on how to keep a series fresh after 10 books? Well, you know, I always set a new challenge for myself whenever I'm writing a new Maggie Hope book. And so each one is quite different in tone. Um, Some are a little more gothic. One is quite inspired by Agatha Christie, you know, so I always set a new challenge for each book. So it, it, it does have its own like situations and like new things to grapple with. So I'm always learning new things. And I think that's fun for the reader too, to get into a situation where there's no formula, you know, you're, you're sort of just in this new story, often with new settings and new characters. So it doesn't get old that way. I'm still as in love with Maggie Hope and the Maggie Hope series as I was before. It's super fun. And actually, now that I'm writing a standalone, which, by the way, I'm incredibly grateful to be able to do, but I do kind of miss her and the gang. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to really look forward to going back and like picking up the story and, and keeping it going. So that's good. I feel like that might be the key right there is that you're still excited to return to those characters. Sometimes when you read late books in a series, you can tell the author is kind of over it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yes, I, I have read that. It's tough, but I, st- I still love it. And I just feel like with each part of the war, like, for instance, the Hollywood spy, now we're into 1943. And we get to see the American version of the war, like the American um, side of things, which is new for the reader. And I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Like the whole thing was so fascinating. At that point in time, the summer of 1943 was actually a lot like the summer of um, 2020. There were race riots in Los Angeles. There were the Zoot Suit riots. Um, There were riots in Detroit. There were riots in Harlem. There were riots in parts of uh, Texas and Georgia. 
I just felt like when I was writing about 43, there was still so much to say because that's so much a part of our history that's still with us. All right. That is a perfect segue into uh, can you tell us about The Hollywood Spy, which just came out this week? Yeah. Well, The Hollywood Spy is the 10th novel in the Maggie Hope series. In it, Maggie goes back to her home country, the United States, and she goes to Los Angeles to help out an ex-boyfriend whose fiance died in mysterious circumstances. And as she sort of teases apart that murder, a bigger um, sort of concern comes up and she has to work to kind of deal with that. So it starts off as a murder mystery, but I think it also has a lot of elements of a thriller. Cool. Yeah. All right, Susan, thank you so much for coming on today and answering all my questions and sharing your journey with people. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find more information about Susan along with links to find out more about her and her books in the description. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Tell your friends or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.